For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Well, good morning, everybody. How are we doing? Good. It's good to see all of you. Um, hopefully, you were able to be a part of last weekend. It was an incredible weekend as we went out um, and served our community. One of our goals was Serve Sunday. One of our goals as a church is really just to tell our community we are for you. Uh, we want to bless you. And I know um, that that happened. I've heard countless stories from people uh, of conversations that you had and the different projects that you were a part of. Um, 180 um, went out and served at 13 different projects last weekend, which is a huge, huge deal. So I'm so proud of you guys. So thank you. Yeah, I mean, that is a great thing to celebrate. Um, I do want to recognize um, you do need to make sure you say thank you to our staff because they went so far above and beyond making last week a, a huge success. Uh, what you don't know, yeah, you can clap for them. They, they totally deserve that. Um, what you don't know is that two weeks ago, we had six projects. And then last Sunday, there were 13. And that's because you, well, one, that was because you guys all waited for the last minute to sign up. <laughs> so there was that. But then also, because you all did it. So, um, so but our, our team spent then that week uh, making phone calls, finding things, um, you know, building connections, um, and, and one person we for sure need to thank is Barbara, because without Barbara, so we for sure need to thank Barbara Mamano, um, because um, we gave her some extra gray hairs um, last Sunday with the moving around. I got an email that said, Josh, you're not serving at this place, you're now at this place, and so maybe you did as well, so thank you for being flexible as we move people around. Um, but I had some incredible conversations. I got to go to two different projects last Sunday. Um, and, you know, every person at the project was like, why are you guys here doing this? Like, we had people stop um, at Bliss Field in their cars asking, like, why are you guys cleaning this up? Like, who's doing this? And so um, what an incredible opportunity for us to just tell our community we are for you. Um, and so uh, we're going to do it again next year. Um, and, and so be prepared for that. It's going to be a great thing. And our hope is that it just continues to grow. Um, and our hope is as well that you guys sign up early next time um, so we know how many people are coming. So, um, but, you know, as we get started today, I don't know about you, but I want you to think about your life right now. And I want you to evaluate, do you feel a sense of calm? Do you, do you feel a sense of calm if you're a student? As you think about grades, as you think about just this year, do you feel a sense of calm? Did you, did you have a fight on the way to church today? Do you feel a sense of calm as you think about the fun family conversations you're going to have in three weeks of Thanksgiving? Do you know there's 48 shopping days left until Christmas? How are you feeling? You know, most of us, I mean, if we're honest, calm, peace, serenity, they don't describe our worlds. If you're anything like me, I love control. I love control. Control is like a warm blanket to me. 
It is something that I'm constantly, it's one of the reasons I think I have five kids, so that way I'm constantly being reminded I control nothing. Um, but maybe you're thinking, you know what, Josh, I, I'm, you know, that's fine if you're into control. I'm not, I'm not a control person. I'm not a control freak at all. I'm a planner. If that's you, you're in denial. Um, but here's what I want you to think about for a moment. How much of your life do you actually have control of? Now, maybe you're on the other end of the spectrum. I have really good friends that are just fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants people. One, one couple in particular, uh, good friends of ours that we used to be on staff with in Arizona, for vacation, they actually put a map on the wall and throw a dart at it to decide where they want to go. Now, my kids said to me one time, they said, Dad, why don't we do what Jerry and Jamie do? And I said, because we're not crazy. We're going to plan, we're going to have an itinerary, I'm going to have a list. That doesn't sound fun at all. But that's me. And, you know, and it's the reason, along with Katie's planning, that we, our five kids are still alive. But I've realized, and, and maybe this is true for you as well, but over the last couple of years, as we've walked through everything surrounding COVID, the, the opening and the closing of schools, the, the changing of things, the arguments with people, the stress, the anxiety of all these different things that have rolled around. I feel like our sense and, and fear and worry has just gone up, but also our desire for control has gone even higher because we have less of it. And we've just been reminded that we have less of it. And this is what control is. Control is the power to influence or direct people's behavior or the chorus of events. Control is the power to influence or direct people's behavior or the chorus of events. Now, with this definition, how much control do you have in your life? How many people in your life, now you have influence with people, but how many people in your life can you direct? One. And most of the time we fail at that one. But we try really hard, don't we? We try really hard to control everybody. We try really hard to control our kids. We try hard to control our spouse, our friends. We try uh, to control the people that we work with. Maybe you even try to control like how things work out in the checkout line. Like, can you like kind of veer in in front of somebody? Like we try really hard. You've done that where you've like gotten in line and you watched the other lines to see like, did I pick the right line? And you feel a sense of accomplishment if you did. You feel a sense of accomplishment. But in all of this, when our anxiety and our worry and our fears rise up, we begin to grab for control somewhere. And when we start to lose control, here's how it plays out for me, and it plays out differently for all of us. But for me, the moment one place in my life feels out of control, I start looking for control somewhere. I start looking to grab control somewhere. So if life feels out of control, uh, you know, over in this sphere of my life, then I'll try to grab control with my teenager, okay? And we all do the same thing. Or when life goes out of control, maybe you get fixated on that place that is out of control. And you just sit there and go, how, how did I lose control? How is it that I can't direct that anymore? How is it that all of a sudden that person has an opinion? How come all of a sudden I can't tell them what to do anymore? And we get fixated then on the control that we lost. 
But either way, our response to a loss of control actually ends up backfiring on us in, in relationships. It ends up pushing people away. It ends up making our life more stressful, more anxious, more worrisome. Now, here's the thing. Underneath all of our desire for control, do you know what we're going for? We're going for really one thing in our desire for control, and it's peace. When we try to control things in our lives, we're going for peace. We're going for peace in relationships. We're going for peace at our jobs. We're going for peace in our health. We're going for this sense of calm and while we go for peace, we actually just settle for control. And our desire for control, we actually then miss the calm that God has. Now, to show you this, now to show how we find this peace and calm, we're going to look at Philippians 4 today. And you can open if you have your Bibles or pull up your Bible app. But we've been walking through the book of Philippians. And Philippians was written by the Apostle Paul while sitting in a jail cell which you would think this is the last place to experience peace and calm. This is the last place in a dark, damp, moldy jail cell. All alone, this is the last place that we would experience any kind of peace and calm. And yet, Paul tells us in these few verses, this is how you experience peace and calm. This is what he says in verse 2 of chapter 4. He says, I urge Judea and I urge Synatech to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Now, before we get to this idea of, of, of peace and calm and how we find this hope in the midst of it, Paul starts with this context. And he starts with the context of relationships. And he says that there are two people, there, there are two women in this church that, that are at odds with each other, that they're not getting along, that they, that they don't see eye to eye, that they're arguing with each other. Now, what we've seen throughout this series is that so much of the context of Philippians is centered around relationships. He spends so much time talking about relationships in the book of Philippians. He spends so much time talking about the people who, who are closest to him, people that have meaning to him. And Paul says these two women are, are arguing, and we know that joy and heartache for many of us are centered around relationships. That so many of us experience joy and we experience heartache in relationships. And in the Philippians church, it was the same way. Now, here's what happens when we disagree with people. Because many of us, the reason we're not experiencing calm right now in our lives is relationships. It's relationships. There are people that you and I are going to see in a couple of weeks that we really don't want to see in a couple of weeks. And... There are people that you and I wish that we could see in a couple of weeks that won't be there. And we'll be reminded of broken relationships. And what happens, what happens so many times is that those broken relationships steal our hope. They steal our peace. And, and so before we get to what is, for many people, the book of Philippians, their favorite verses. Okay, chapter four is filled with people's favorite verses in the book of Philippians. It's so easy to skip over Paul's context of relationships and how deeply our peace and our calm and our joy 
are connected to relationships. See, and many times when we disagree with people, we just say, well, that, that's just it. That's just the end. But Paul says it doesn't have to be that way. He says in the midst of it, what does he say? Right after telling them to work together, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. He says, I will say it again, rejoice. So he says, even in the midst of difficulty, even in the midst of disagreement, even in the midst of people who drive you crazy, rejoice. Don't let them steal your joy. Don't let them steal your peace. Rejoice. But he doesn't say rejoice, you know, and just, and pretend that it's okay. He doesn't say rejoice and just, you know, put on a smile even if you don't feel like it. He doesn't say, hey, just have some positive thinking. You'll get through it. No, he says rejoice in the Lord. Now, here's one of the things that, that comes to my mind that I often have when I read the Bible. Is I'll read a verse like this and think, well, yeah, but do I always have to do it? Like when it says always, does that mean always? Like, do I, do I really have to do it always? Is there ever a situation that doesn't fit into always? And I think this is why Paul takes two people who are disagreeing and creates that as the context for rejoicing in the Lord. He doesn't take two people who are working together really well. He doesn't take two people who just took the trip of a lifetime and crossed off a bucket list together and says, hey, now that you're like feeling really great and warm inside and like connected relationally, rejoice. No, he says, take these two people who aren't speaking, who are mad at each other, rejoice. Showing us that no matter what we're facing relationally, no matter what we're facing in life, you and I can rejoice in the Lord. And he doesn't say just rejoice in your circumstances. He says rejoice in the Lord. Because what that does is he says rejoicing in the Lord shows this closeness of how we relate to God. It communicates that we're not alone. It communicates that God is with us in the difficulty. It communicates that God has not forgotten you in the midst of your anxiety, in the midst of your worry, in the midst of your relational strife. God is close. See, here's Paul sitting in a jail cell all by himself. He doesn't know how long he's going to be there. He doesn't know if he's going to die there. He doesn't know if anybody's coming to get him. He doesn't know if anyone's even going to come visit him again. And he says, rejoice. See, we rejoice in the Lord because of the promises and presence of God. We rejoice in the Lord no matter what we face because of the promises and the presence of God. We rejoice in the Lord no matter how dark the night gets because God moves close to us in the dark. We rejoice in the Lord because God is a good father who always does what is good, right, and perfect. But how do we know? How do we know if we rejoice that God is close? Look at what Paul says in verse 5. He says, let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. See, why do we rejoice in the Lord? Because the Lord is near. He is close. He is with you. He is with me. He knows exactly where we are and what we're walking through because he is walking with us. In a jail cell, in a storm, around a Thanksgiving table with people arguing, God is near. God is near. But it's easy to skip over the first sentence of verse 5. Let your graciousness be known 
to everyone. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. See, here's why I think this phrase is so important. Because when life feels chaotic, when life feels out of control, our graciousness to those closest to us tends to plummet. Have you ever noticed that, that it's real easy when your life is out of control and really chaotic, that it's actually easier to be nicer and more gracious to people at work than it is at home? Because we'll come home and think, well, you know what? They, they should just know I've had a really bad day. They should just know, like, I need some space. They should just know. Well, maybe. You're maybe also just being a jerk. Like, Maybe. Maybe they should know, but maybe you should be gracious. So I want you to think for a moment. How would the people around you describe your graciousness? Would they say, that person's graciousness is known. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. Here's another way this needs to show up. Are you gracious to yourself? Are you gracious to yourself? Are you giving yourself grace? Are you saying, hey, you know what? Like, I actually can't do all the things that I did three years ago for whatever reason. Are you being gracious to yourself? See, because it's easy sometimes for us to give grace to other people and not give it to ourselves. But when Paul says everyone, that includes you. That includes the person sitting next to you. Be gracious to everyone. Let your graciousness be known to everyone because the Lord is near. See, and that isn't like a threat, like God is watching you. That is a beautiful promise that you and I can be gracious to everyone because God is near. Because God is right there. Because God knows how hard you are to live with and God knows how hard they are to live with. He knows how hard they are to work with. And he knows your story. He knows what you've walked through. He knows how hard it is for you to give grace to that person or for you to give grace to yourself. And he says, because God is near, we rejoice. And because God is near, look at verse six, don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So because God is near, Paul says, don't worry about anything. Now, there's an important distinction I need to make here because oftentimes there, there's an important distinction between worry and anxiety. See, often we use those words interchangeably, but, but they're different, okay? Worry is something that happens in our minds. It's something that we, when we worry about a test or a phone call or a meeting and we replay things in our minds. Anxiety is something that happens in our bodies. They're very different. They're very different. Now, for me, worry rises when my perceived uh, control goes down. That's when my worry rises. And, and I'll begin, I'll lay in bed and I will play out whole conversations. And, and I will have entire arguments in my head. 
in that moment. And it would be logical and data-driven, and I will win. Now, for you, it may be totally different how, how that plays out, how that worry just plays out for you. But our worry starts to rise at different moments. And we worry about all kinds of things, all kinds of worthwhile things. Otherwise, we wouldn't worry about them. If you didn't care, you wouldn't worry. If you didn't care about your finances or your health, you wouldn't worry. If you didn't care about your, your parents' health, you wouldn't worry. Your kids, it, you know, it's the reason you're losing hair. You're worried, why? Because you care. We worry about things that are worthwhile. And what does Paul say? In everything. Don't worry about anything, but in everything. Okay, so anything that you worry about, all categories, through prayer, petition, with thanksgiving. See, this is why I think this, is, this whole phrase is really important. I want to put it back up on the screen in, in, in verse 6. This whole phrase is really important, okay? Through prayer. So we bring these things to God. Okay, we bring these worries. We bring everything. See, too often our prayer life is very sanitized. Too often our prayer life is very much like, well, I need to sound really holy as I, as I you know, I shouldn't ask about this. I shouldn't, I shouldn't bring this before God. No, no. Anything, everything in prayer. And petition, what is that? I mean, that is an activist word. That is something where I am going after this. I am going to list it out. I am not going to stop. I am I'm walking through the streets in a petition. I'm like bringing data. I'm like bringing things to say, hey, God, like you need to like sign this petition. And with thanksgiving. See, that's such a, it, it seems like such an odd word that Paul would throw thanksgiving in there, but the reason that I think he does is he wants us to see God listens. God listens. He listens to our prayers. Present your requests to God. See, do you bring all of your requests, all of your worries, everything to God, or you just kind of bring the cleaned up version to God? There should come a point in your life when you are sitting somewhere in a car and you have it out with God at the top of your lungs. That will happen at some point in the Christian life for you. And that is okay. I don't think Paul sat there in a jail cell and thought, you know what, it's so great that I'm here. Like, this is exactly where, no, I bet you Paul sat there, I mean, and we see this throughout the book of Acts and in other letters that Paul writes, where he goes like, I, what is happening? How many things do I have to go through? He says, God, I asked you to take this thorn out of my side and nothing happened. He said, I asked multiple times. That's petitioning God. It is good and actually commanded in scripture for you to petition God. To not hold back. See, when was the last time you petitioned God? When was the last time that, that you just said, yeah, I, God, I, I'm petitioning. I am going all out. I am contending for this thing, this person, this situation. See, too often we, we just kind of throw it out. But petition... Some of us, there are things in our life right now that we need to petition God on. There are relationships and situations that we need to not, it's not just a, 
a, a two-minute kind of toss-up of prayer. It's a petition. And what happens? Look at what happens. Verse 7, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. See, when we pray, often we pray for, for answers. Like, God, why is this happening? God, why, why isn't this happening? And God answers us, but we're not always promised answers. Okay? See, Paul tells us what God promises us. God promises us the peace of God. See, this is really important. God doesn't always promise us answers. He promises us himself, his peace. See, and some of us get hung up on, this is, some, this is one of the things that trips us up in prayer, is we go to prayer looking for the wrong thing. See, we go to prayer looking for answers when what we need to do is go to prayer looking for God. See, God has promised us his presence. He's promised us himself. God has promised us his peace. And so as we petition God, as we bring everything and anything to God, God doesn't say, I will give you a really clear, cut, bullet-pointed list for an answer. He says, I will give you my peace. I will give you my peace. See, and for some of us, here, here's the rub, because for some of us in faith, we don't actually want that. We'd rather an answer. Because if I don't get the answer, then like, what am I supposed to do with it then? But Paul says, no, no, no. Remember, in this jail cell, Paul's saying, you will get the peace of God who is with you. And you will walk through this fog. You will walk through this crisis. You will walk through this storm with God, with the peace of God. See, and this is, this is a rub that I think we need to kind of wrestle through. Because I know for most, most of my Christian life, I would look at this passage and go, yeah, but I just want an answer. And it was because I wasn't really content just to get what God was going to give me. I wanted God to give me what I wanted. I, 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 I wanted an answer. <laughs> because an answer to me for a lot of my Christian life I wanted that because I thought it was better than the peace of God. And this is Paul saying, no, no, God knows exactly what you need. You need the peace of God. Now, does an answer come? Yeah, often. But we need to be really clear that when we're praying and as we bring anything and everything to God, what God promises to give us. God promises us himself. He promises us his peace. See, and I think so many times God gives us things in prayer and we just miss it because we're looking for the other thing. We're looking for the answer. We're going, man, where, where's it at? Like, I'm, I'm on the God, binoculars looking for the answer. And we totally miss what God has for us in prayer because we weren't looking for the wrong thing. 
So how do we experience this? How do, how do we like enter into this as we're moving into this holiday season? If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. That when we release control to God, we experience his calm. When we release control to God, we experience his calm. See, we experience God's peace when we bring everything to God in prayer. When we lay it before him, when we give it all to him. And the peace of God guards us. It guards our hearts. It guards our minds. Because look at what he says. The peace of God, will, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, I love that he says hearts and minds for this reason. Because for some of us, our, our, the area that we don't feel peace, for some of us, it's in our minds because we're logical. And so we're trying to outmaneuver things. For others of us, we're not experiencing peace in our hearts and our bodies. And so Paul like covers the whole thing. And he says, no matter, no matter tr- how you're trying to like maneuver your control and get your peace and calm, you'll experience the peace of God. You're a feeler, awesome. You're gonna experience the peace of God in your heart. You're a thinker, you're gonna experience the peace of God in your mind. And remember, what we focus on are the things that really control our minds. This is what Paul says as he closes. Finally, in verse eight, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, If there is any moral excellence and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. So as you and I are filling our hearts and minds, what are we filling it with? Not the latest news. Okay, let's go through this verse again. Verse 8, this is so important. The things you're focusing on, this is what's the things that are robbing you of peace and calm right now. Are they true? And there's a lot of things that we are worried about that are not true. There are a lot of things. I I feel like I hear 15 to 20,000 crazy things a day right now. Are they true? When you lay in bed at night and worry about that thing, is it true? It may be true, but is it true? A lot of times it's not. It's not. That peop- the person who gave you that weird look across the room, they actually weren't thinking about you. They were looking at the person behind you. Okay? So is it true? Is it honorable? Is it just? Are, are you focusing on things that are pure? Things that are lovely, commendable. What happens when we dwell on these things? What happens when we dwell on the truth of God? Look at the very last phrase of verse nine, so important. And the peace of God will be with you. I hope you're picking up the theme of these verses. What does Paul say? When our worry rises up, we bring anything and everything to God who is near. We petition, we don't hold back. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, And as we continue to fill our minds and continue to fill fill our hearts with the truths of who God is and, and, and his power, the peace of God 
will be with you. Because when we release control to God, we experience his calm. We experience his calm. So here's what I want to ask you to do as we close. Because you might be wondering, well, how do I do this on a daily basis? How do I, tomorrow, when I get that email, that's going to totally mess up my day. What if I get that phone call this week that I'm just not expecting? What, how do I do that? I want to invite you to do a couple of things. One, I want you to think of one area of your life right now that you aren't experiencing God's peace. One area you're not experiencing God's peace. It may be a relationship. It may be something connected to the holidays. It may be a schedule. Maybe it's your schedule. You're just not experiencing peace at all in your schedule. It may be your health, your career, your finances. If you're like me, you have more than one area. But here's what I want to invite you to do. On your Connect card uh, that we asked you to fill out earlier, and we ask you to fill this out each week because we love to know who's with us. But our goal here each week is to help all of us to take our next step with God because we believe each of us has one. And you'll notice there's a word there that says calm. And I want to invite you to check that box because tomorrow we're actually going to send to you just four simple things for you to walk through. It all fits really on a bookmark. It's really simple. Of how to experience God's calm in the midst of a chaotic life. How you do that. But here's what I want you to do with that one thing, that area. I want you to take a moment as we get ready to sing this final song and respond together. I want to invite you to just close your eyes and pray this just simple prayer. And you can add to it however you want. God, I'm giving over blank to you. I'm releasing control. I'm releasing control of my health, finances, spouse, child, parents, house, whatever it is to you. Wash over me with your peace and calm. God, I give this over to you. Father, I pray that as we live out this call to to be gracious to everyone, including ourselves, to live out this this call to, to experience your peace and calm. God, may we be satisfied, deeply, deeply satisfied with your peace. May we be deeply satisfied with your presence. God, I know so many times I I just want you to give me an answer. And I confess that so many times I miss probably what you have for me because I look for the wrong things in prayer. And God, may we be people, may may we be a church that does not look for the wrong things. What a beautiful, amazing truth that you promise us to be near. You promise us your peace. Again and again, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard us.
You stand in front. Your peace guards us from what's ahead and from what is behind. God, what an amazing truth. I pray that your spirit now as we respond through this song, that your spirit would just dig that into our, our heart and souls. In your name, amen. Will you stand with us as we respond together and close?